Yeah, I think it's I think it's time to shift the narrative on this conversation, and I think that means we have to be open <clears throat> to dissenting perspective. We have to bring them to the table, which means we have to be self-aware. We have to be open to removing our ego from judging things that we don't yet understand. So I think that sense of openness is is key for me. And however that comes for people will be their own journey. But I think it's that, that willingness to, to have the conversation, to really look in the mirror and figure out, does it really work or not? And, and what role am I playing? Am I contributing to this? Am I, am, I, am I quietly supportive or am I proactively condoning what's happening? And what role do I want to play? Welcome to the Leadership Junkies podcast brought to you by Cardavera, the leadership development ecosystem that helps you grow your people, grow your business and grow your life. We're back for episode 110 with Paul McCarthy. Our title is Fire the Leadership, Reinventing the Future of Leadership. Paul McCarthy is the founder of what he calls a movement that is called Fired Leadership. His first book's coming out called The Fired Leader. And fired obviously has meaning, but this is all about fundamentally disrupting our view of leadership and leadership development. As Paul highlights in the interview, this is a hundreds of billions of dollars a year in leadership development, and the data says it is failing. Not only failing, but epically failing. So certainly, Paul's going to talk about his fired model. He's going to talk about what needs to change in leadership. He's going to talk about team engagement personal development, leadership, and the need for disruption in the way we see, train, and develop leaders today. Welcome to the Leadership Junkies podcast, where we explore leadership, business, and personal growth to help you grow your business and live a richer life. We're your hosts, Jeff Dishwitz and Craig Matthews. We believe that leaders have to put their people first. And if you don't have time to grow your people, then you're not leading. Get ready for conversations that will challenge your thinking and help you transform your leadership and your business. Welcome to your bigger business and bigger life. So today we are back and my word is anticipation. I have great anticipation about the conversation today. I suspect it's going to be wide ranging and perhaps unruly. And that's okay because leadership junkies, we love unruly. (laughs) We have with us today, Paul McCarthy. I just connected with Paul just a few weeks ago and was immediately taken with, I'm going to just go with for now, his directness on leadership. (laughs) Uh, He is the founder. I'm going to call it a movement. He can correct me later if I've got it wrong, but a movement called fire leadership. He's working on his first book. It's called The Fired Leader, Reinventing the Future of Leadership, Challenging CEOs to Rethink Who They Are Firing Because They're Getting Rid of the Wrong Talents and Skills. This is the thing that jumped out to me as as I was looking at Paul's bio, this data. Despite being a global multi-billion dollar industry, studies show that the more companies spend on leadership development and it's rising, the less leaders are ready for today's changing marketplace and tomorrow's ongoing disruption. So that's a problem. I feel like John Oliver right now. If I was, I would add an expletive to it. That's an effing problem if we're spending more money and getting worse results. So Paul is here to disrupt our thinking around leadership and welcome Paul. Welcome. 
<laughs> yeah. Craig, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, really cool to be here. Really, really great to, to get another platform to, to showcase what we're doing. And uh, yeah, you're right. It's a movement. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a way to look at the future of leadership and to disrupt our approaches to what we thought has worked with these tried and tested air quote kind of approaches to leadership development. It's also about saying, listen, it's about time we have the conversation. The system is broken. It's the the model doesn't work. It really never worked. And I'm really the one that wants to talk about this. I want to talk about this taboo subject. So um, if everyone doesn't seem to want to talk about it, they want to keep it under the stairs. I want to shift our narrative to to have a conversation that dispels a number of myths that we hold in our world and say, look, we're not prepared for tomorrow. What so are we going to do? Leader cries it? out in the forest. Will anybody hear him? <laughs> Exactly. Well, you know what? Is it a forest anymore? <laughs> you know, we're, we have the opportunity and the choice, Craig, to, to kind of like figure out what that blueprint looks like. Yeah, and, absolutely. And we're still in the matrix. We're still thinking that we have. <laughs> right, right? Yeah, I took I, th- I thought I took the red pill. Yeah, but yeah it right. was really just blue. Pur- it was purple haze yeah. blue with a little bit of red. Yeah. So we're going to dive into fired leadership, mm. but give us a little bit of the Paul journey that brought you here today. Yeah, I'll keep this kind of brief because I think a lot of people know the story by now. But basically, I'm I'm a executive leader. I've been in consulting and leadership development for about 25 years, and I've been fired four times from executive leadership roles for Must being doing something right. Might have been my shirt color, Craig. I don't know. <laughs> but I, I I've been fired or the accent, but I've been fired for demonstrating the qualities that I was hired for. And that got me curious. Instead mm. of saying, I'm the problem, of course I was the problem. I got curious and started to think about whether our system was letting us down. And that's what got me down this path and the trajectory to say, I wonder if our leadership identification, recruitment, onboarding, and development processes need to be enhanced. And so that's really what started the journey. So I, I was a leader that I would ultimately start to display these five fired qualities that would become a methodology and a framework, but I didn't know it at the time. But I challenged, I disrupted, I offered dissenting perspectives. I didn't play the political game. I didn't stroke egos. And what I did was through all of that, because I was hired for that, those qualities, I ended up exposing the belly of the beast and the dysfunction of leadership in modern day corporate environments. And that hypocrisy and that dysfunction led me to realize there's ineffectiveness, there's, there's lack of ROI in the way that we develop leaders. And quite frankly, we're not preparing our leaders for the disruption they're facing tomorrow with the shift in organizational structures, the way that leaders will need to lead. And by the way, this is all four years ago. This is before COVID. So now we have one of the biggest disruptions in our midst, and I see it as a great opportunity and platform. So yeah, uh, this is not about me, guys and girls listening. This is principally my experience which I use as a platform to talk about the things that really no one wants to talk about. I question the unquestionable, talk about the untalkable. And yeah, Jeff, you're right. I'm, I want to create an ecosystem. I want to create a movement where we can all have the courage to do that. Awesome. Well, Paul, you, you mentioned earlier, you, we're going to talk about fire in great detail, but when you're opening remarks, you said something about there's a model. I think you said it's never really worked. Can you talk about that? Because there's a lot of people who are open to the fact that something new is needed, but they'll say, yeah, it's new because it used to work, but it doesn't now. But you went even bolder than that. Talk some more about that. 
Yeah, let me just say, you know, the whole corporate adage that we often hear, nobody gets fired for hiring IBM. You probably, <laughs> you probably heard that, right? So we think that that's the gold standard, but actually I'm not discrediting them in any way, but the work of IBM and the big consulting firms is trusted because of the brand. It doesn't always follow through to the, the actual quality of outputs. Right. So uh, that's the position where I want to start this, this, this kind of exploration with Jeff. Um, but the, let me just talk about the tried and tested methods, right? If, if they worked, why do we still have such, dis, um, such low performance in certain, certain areas of leadership? Why, why do we have um, uh, dysfunction? Why do, we, why do we have the world's largest survey of leadership development effectiveness from DDI in 2018 saying that, you know, despite, as you said in the, the opener of me, well, I'll give you the figures now, despite being a $400 billion industry every year and rising in leadership development, only 14% of people who buy that leadership development think it works. Why is that? Yeah. And I've got, you know, I'm not going to bore everybody, but I've got like statistics coming out of the yin yang from different research sources that are credible and reputable globally showing that this is the net this is an open secret this is something we don't want to talk about so let me just give you an example you're a new leader you go into an organization you're pumped you're excited about joining that organization and you get this learning pathway which is great you think you're going to be developed and, and have a great set of experiences um, corroborated with with worldwide leading best practice learning no you don't you get <laughs> you, you get a prescribed learning pathway Right? It worked because it standardized and simplified the approach to learning and development. So it's not customized for them. It's not customized for them, Craig. And, and despite these organizations saying that it is, and when we have business schools with you know, nice logos from well-known institutions saying that they endorse and they contribute to these programs, they've genericized this, these types of programs. So, so leaders are getting something that isn't tailored to them. Right? So they're not even asked what they want to learn, what they need to learn. They're given a set of rote learning pathways and modules within that kind of environment. And guess what? Here's the kicker. They're not even asked how they want to be measured in terms of the effectiveness <laughs> of their learning environment. They're given a set of pre-prescribed KPIs, whatever you want to call it, to say, this is how we're going to assess you on whether this leadership development is effective. But here's the other kicker, sorry, that when you finish this lovely coveted leadership development um, work or program, you, th there's no or very little measurement and evaluation of how you've applied that learning to your day-to-day -day role, mm. right? No one's doing that work. I asked some CEOs um, in my work as a consultant in this area, you know, how, do you, how do you measure the ROI from the work that you're getting from vendors who provide learning and development to develop your programs and courses? To the actual application at the end end user, I got I got kind of well I didn't get thrown out of the offices, but <laughs> I, I kind of got like well no we don't do that, and I'm like but but you spend millions every year as an organisation shouldn't you be measuring this? Um, so so the tried and tested methods Jeff are easy right because they've got material already in place, but they're not addressing what leaders need and want for their development. And so I started to question this and I went further and dug deeper into it. And, and you know, what I'm realizing more and more is this, is this is more of a pandemic than we realize in terms of, Craig, 
Yeah. Yeah. So Paul, one of the things that it seems like to me is the the only thing that we have customized for the individual is a performance improvement plan. So when they stop <laughs> producing the way that we want them to, then we'll get customized and then it's too late. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you want to talk about performance improvement. Well, <laughs> that, I mean, that comes from the performance management performance evaluation process, which, you know, I'm not here to Right. to kind of shoot anything down essentially but i'm here to ask the questions through a different lens which is we all know that the performance measurement and evaluation process doesn't work we know it's on the way out in fact research shows that you know if you take away the performance rating process you actually eliminate the pressure on people to perform and they actually perform better they're more productive <laughs> right the the other thing is performance measurement and evaluation is past looking it looks at what you did. It doesn't look at your right. future. It doesn't look at your potential. So true. And again, it's done in a cookie cutter way with the idea of standardization and simplification. I mean, you know, we, we thought Taylorism and the way that we, you know, worked <laughs> with management in the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s was the most efficient and effective way to, to work in an organization. And look how that turned out. Right. So it's, I'm having the conversations because here's, here's the thing. We all know that these systems don't work. But we don't want to be the one to put our hand above the parapet. We don't want to, we don't want to bite the hand that feeds us. We're scared. We're fearful. And I actually think that it's time we have this conversation and bring it out, not just having a, a gripe fest, but constructively. How do yeah. we shift our systems to make sure they're ready for the future? And that's the whole idea behind what we're doing at Fire Leadership. Do you find that, that people are actually open to the time that it will take to do that? Well, it's really interesting you say that, Craig, because and we'll talk about my, my book and my work, I'm sure, throughout this, this session. But the only thing that you have to do in order to take the time to shift your thinking, here's the thing, lean in. You just have to drop your ego. That's it. You just have to drop your ego. You have to actually be open and self-aware to a discussion that the, the system you've bought into doesn't work. No timely, expensive you know, consulting, analysis, yeah. diagnostics required. You just have to be honest with yourself, and you have to actually have that conversation. And so that costs nothing, right? And so the book that I'm writing, the first of three, the last section of the book is something, is a, is something of a departure than, from any of the thousands of leadership or culture books I've ever read, because they all get you hooked on a problem. Um, and they, they say, here's the drug to address it. And then they give you three or five things to say, do these things now. But if you want more, come to my expensive programs and services page on my website, and I'll funnel you through. Let's not pretend ourselves. We all do it, right? And, but I'm a capitalist with conscience. So here's the thing that I do. I'm giving away $3 million of consulting work in my book for people who want to do anything with this. And I'm not saying take the system, blow it apart and start again. I offer very practical solutions for people once they've dropped their ego to say, how can, I sh how can I slightly alter this lens with one or two things? And that's it, right? No, no costly things required. And I, want, I believe in this so much that I, I'm giving away this stuff because I want to create that platform. And I don't want to create reliance on 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 one provider of this type of service. So I want everybody to, to see whether it works for them or not. Well, Paul, you, you talked about just those one to two things. And I know that's helpful because people can get overwhelmed. But I also hear you saying that 
fundamentally, the process needs to start by acknowledging that what we're doing isn't working. And to me, too many people are saying, well, maybe it's just not working as well as we would like. And so we just need to tweak it. And it seems to me, because I agree with you, I don't think it's working. For the most part, it's not working. And to go in and tweak not working, seems like you're just going to get a tweak not working. And that's where I do agree that ego of whether it's an individual ego or an organizational ego to say, look, we're failing at this. We're failing at developing our leaders. We've got to fundamentally do it differently. Until someone's willing to be vulnerable enough to say and believe that, how do things change? Yeah, and it, and and so one of the other things that we're doing with fired leadership is we're creating the conditions to have those honest conversations. Right, so you've got to create those conditions first before you have the the, the discussions. And you know, we we've all been in leadership environments in in executives off, offices where we've seen the fancy one-page laminate menus which say, here's our value statements, here's our guiding principles, here's how we work together as a leadership team. And it ha- they have worked. I mean, you know, I've been the guy that's developed these things because I've helped executives and leadership teams over my career to, to become more aligned. You know, I, I, and, and here's the thing. They all do it at a surface level, but they don't do the deeper inner work. And I've seen things like wor- words like authenticity and transparency and integrity and vulnerability, you know, my, my favorite, empathy, you know? And so, so we all see that, right? But, but when, and I've said this a few times with people I've spoke with, you see that on the wall and you think that's great. You then see the, the competency framework, the nice visual wheel, here's how we behave, here's how we develop leaders, great. You then see the, the leadership books in their offices, great. You know, the latest gurus, by the way, I don't like the term guru, so we can talk about that if we want to. But the whole guruizing of leadership and leadership development, it's a joke. It's an absolute joke. Um, and then those three data points converge when we go into the leader's room, the office, and we see how they lead. And there's an incongruence generally. Now, there's a lot of great leaders out there. Don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not slating the whole system or leadership at all. I'm saying there, there, is, a, there is a contradiction. There's a hypocrisy mm-hmm that nobody really wants to talk about. And, I, and I've had on my own journey, as, as Jeff, you, you probably know offline, you know, I've had people tell me, like, stay in your lane. Don't, don't disrupt the apple cart. You're doing okay. Why would you want to do this? You're just a leader who's been fired and you're twisted and jaded about it. Not at all. But thank you. Thank you for the <laughs> But, but it's, about, it's about shifting our perspective by putting a different lens on. And so, so I think unless or until we have the conversation which says, yeah, there is, a, there is a disconnect, there's a contradiction, there's a hypocrisy here, then how can we ever create the conditions for trust-based dialogue? Like the actions will come after, right? But it's about creating those conditions. And if we don't do all that work that I just mentioned, then we're really just shifting the deck chairs on the Titanic. So I would say... I'm sorry. So I was, I would say that a lot of people think, okay, I'm, I'm producing results. You know, we're growing the business year after year, you know, yada, yada, yada. So something's working. So why do what I need to fundamentally change everything that I'm doing, dissect it, pull it apart, put it back together, the thinking that's involved in that, the time that's involved in that. Yeah. It may not cost money other than people's time, but it's still, there's, there's a cost of resources. And then we look at it and we say, okay, if I, if I really want to get this, what is the end result that we're really going for? 
Because if we're saying that leadership at the way that it's being done is bad, what is the good part? Is it really developing, developing our people? Is it really adhering to or hiring for alignment with the, the guiding principles and so forth? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think too many of us have focused on the outputs and, and the, the, the actual products and, and the bottom line in terms mm-hmm. of, so I, I'm delivering, so I'm okay. But, you know, there's a wave of research and there's a wave of evidence that, you know, talks about talent shortfalls, disengagement, purpose as being the things that are going to influence your leadership recruitment processes and, and your productivity as an organization. So, you know, I, I can throw you statistics and research out, out of my every orifice I have, right? But, you know, let's just think about the $7 trillion of disengage, that disengagement costs every year. Gallup estimated that. That number's rising. Now, that, that's because of leader toxicity. That's because of misalignment with purpose. I mean, I can just throw another one out now from Harvard. You know, one in four of your, your leaders intends to leave within the first 12 months, right? Corporate um, executive uh, board and Robert Half, they've done surveys as well that, again, 2018, 2019, that show, you know, um, and I'm just reading on my monitor here, third of respondents said they'd pass up the perfect job if the company's culture fit was a bad one. Um, and interestingly, 91% of US managers right now um, are saying that an employee's cult- a culture fit is more important than anything else. So what now, I'm going to, I'm sorry. No, no, go ahead. What I see though, is you're, you have a couple of statistics in there that I think are probably linked. You say that a third of people would not entertain working for a company that does not have a culture fit. And you also said that a fourth of the people that come in as new leaders are going to leave within the first 12 months. I'm, I'm guessing that those people that said, oh, you know, this is a culture fit. And then they get in there and they find, oh, it's not. So then they exit. Mm. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of money that's spent on leadership recruitment, right? And yeah. so, you know, I've seen good organizations like Spotify, for instance, they, they now do culture fit assessments up front. So they, for instance, won't even interview you for a job until they've had this discussion, which talks about values, alignment, purpose, and your philosophy, right? So yeah. if those things don't align, it doesn't matter um, that you don't get past that first step. And there are others that are doing this as well. I mean, you know, an EY in their research, um, I think they found 90, more than 90% of people that were surveyed um, believe if their individual purpose does not align to the organizations, there's not going to be a good marriage. And here's the other thing. You talked about results and productivity and, and the bottom line earlier. Of those organizations that were surveyed around alignment of purpose, if there is that alignment, then the research found, I think, um, they're li- the organization is likely to outperform their competitors by up to 42%. Yeah, that's so fantastic. Think, think about that. Expected. I mean, like, we're moving into this new wave of human-based, heart-centered leadership where mm-hmm. if we get that right, then the productivity, the financial um, outputs, the the you know the widgets being sold, all that great stuff, will still be there. Yeah. The outcomes will still be there, but it's like we now have to almost lead with conscience, and and I think that's the new currency going yeah. forward. And you know, COVID, I've talked about this many times as well. As tragic as it is, it's an accelerator. It's it's mm-hmm. made us accelerate these kinds of human capital conversations, and I think. 
you know, and with the rise of self-managed organizations and teal-based structures and the shift from draconian to more flat environments, we're going to see this much more. And, and we've got this talent shortfall already, right? So doesn't it make sense to actually make that our number one priority? We talk about it all the time in the glass door top 50 best employers in the world, the top 100 list. But few of these organizations actually follow through with that. And that's what underpins the work that we're doing, which is let's get the elephant out in the room yeah. to have the conversations that matter. And let's not blame anyone. It's not about attribute blame to you, me, or anyone. It's just about let's have this conversation so we can advance the future of leadership. And, and here's the thing earlier, Jeff, you mentioned about tried and tested approaches. I found from reviewing hundreds of these kinds of gurus and others of their work, all very nice people, I'm sure, but they're not in it for the, the mosaic of leadership as a whole. They're in it to, to sell the next product, the next course, the next speaker fee, the engagement. Now, they won't like me saying this, right? They won't like me saying this at all, but it's true. Let's really be honest here, right? How many of us are really in it for the right reasons? And people could tell me I'm, you know, I'm full of crap. That's fine. But I actually have no, no skin in the game in terms of my ego or um, a selfish agenda. I've actually tried to have this conversation for 25 years. And all of a sudden, you know, as a leader, I've been fired four times. It's given me the ideal platform. So I'm doing it anyway. <laughs> Paul, you, you may have answered this already, but I'm going to ask it maybe a different way. One of the statistics that I saw just a couple of months ago, I was from Gallup also. Gallup said that it's becoming very clear that managers today must be coaches. It's essential that they be coached. And that demand is coming from the people that they manage. And it also concluded that the training and development of managers is dismal. That was the word, dismal. And that, that word really struck me. Mm. So I look at that, and Craig and I have had this conversation before. To me, it's like someone is standing in front of someone with this pile of crap. And, but that doesn't see enough, seem to be enough motivation to change. So number one, do you think do you think leaders actually believe the data, and or if they do, why aren't they making changes? You said ego earlier, but is there something else in the way of that change? Mm. Yeah, let's just take COVID as an example. When it was over there, right? <laughs> when it was over there in China, we started, and, and your then president, who I you know don't want to get in trouble for for advocating, was propagating this kind of this uh, moral panic and this witch hunt, but it was a Chinese virus. It was over there, right? It didn't happen over here in North America. So it wasn't in our backyard, right? So all of a sudden, it, now it's in our backyard. Now we have to take note. So the point I'm making there is if the managers and leaders see this data and they think, nah, it doesn't apply to me because it's over there, right? And we're in this, this point of denial and now it's in front of us. So. Here's the other thing, the, to your second point, we tend as a human species, I'm an anthropologist by background, right? So academically, I've studied cultures, rituals, beliefs, norms, behaviors, and I'm fascinated by why we do what we do and why we don't do what we say we're going to do, right? And so ultimately, it comes down to this as being an enforced change. We, we don't change unless it's forced on us. You can read all the self-development help books you like, and I have, trust me. Um, unless something's forced on you, it's like now it's unavoidable. We have to do something like COVID. 
25 years ago, for instance, chaps, I was talking uh, to employers and clients and about remote working. And the, the feeling was you couldn't be productive unless you were in front of someone, right? And so that was the excuse back then for, for not allowing or, or encouraging remote working. 25 years later, we have COVID. It forces a change in us. It forces us to look in the mirror and address certain things that haven't worked, but we thought had. And one of those is remote working. And so now all of a sudden the data is coming out and, and some will obviously contradict me and say that there's other data to, to prove this data wrong. And that's great. But let's think about the bigger picture and elevate this to the bigger, bigger conceptual thinking, you know, like Roosevelt said, level three ideas. Let's talk about ideas that can change the world rather than level one, which is he said, she said. Right. Mm -hmm. So here's the thing. Now we've found that um, talent are more productive when they're out of the office and they're happier. But the people that are still clinging to the idea that you can't be productive unless you're in the office, they have no other excuse. And what that reveals is the deep layer of the onion that we've peeled back, which is we don't trust our workforce. Ultimately, we don't trust our workforce. Everyone has an agenda. Every leader, want, leader wants to climb a greasy pole. Every leader has, has an ulterior motive. And, and talent aren't being honest and don't say what they mean and mean what they say. And so the coach role is an ideal role because it can help surface those, those challenges. And the question is then, what do you do once you've surfaced those challenges, right? I mean, Gallup also, as you mentioned earlier uh, with some stats, Gallup also did a, uh, some surveys of man uh, people who left organizations. And within three months of leaving, I think 50 or 60% of the people who left had not engaged with their managers. So, and they, and, they, and they said on record, if they had, they would have decided not to leave. So what does that tell you, again, about the culture that we have in organizations? And so I know I've kind of rambled on a little bit about but those, those two points you've made, but, but I think this is important. Like we, 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 don't, we don't change until it's right in front of us and it, it's forced on us. So now I... I don't want that to be the case with what I'm doing. You know, I, I, I thought long and hard. Do I hit people over the head and say, the system's broken, the model's broken, here's all the data points, you need to listen to me? Or do I do the Trojan horse approach, which is to say, I want to understand your language, your insecurities, your, your challenges. Tell me why you don't think it's broken. And let, let's work a, around that. So there's a, a very different approach that I'm taking than, than I think perhaps people think I'm taking. Because I want to understand, I want to understand the source of fear, the source of ignorance, so we can then use that to level the playing field, to have the conversation. I'm just curious as to what you've seen as far as people's actual willingness and, and desire to improve their leadership. Because I, I think that there, we have certain assumptions that everybody wants to grow. Not everybody wants to grow. Not everybody's thinking about that. A lot of people are thinking about, I'm just going to get my job done. They're not thinking about, I'm going to become a better manager, a better leader. Mm. And so how much time and attention is actually being spent on this? And, and where do they start? Because if it starts with ego, that's a, that's a real inward thing that somebody has to have some commitment to go to there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and then again, I'll, I'll kind of start this, this ramble by, you know, just positing. Uh, is there a link between stress and mental health? Um, and the ailments that all of that results in, and our ability not to be real 
with ourselves. <laughs> it, it, you it, think? It, <laughs> is, there, is there a connection between that and the rising number of divorces, uh, the rising number of turnover? It, sure. Is there a link? I don't know. I'm not an expert in... in it could be a coincidence, Paul. <laughs> but based, based on that philosophy, Jeff, we'd still think the world was flat. You know, well, some do, you know, some still do. Some, some do. When I look out, it, it's flat. I, I don't see. I don't yeah, know what yeah. you're talking about. Yeah, and it's our worldview, right? So yeah, our, yeah. our perceptions are shaped, Craig, to your point around, you know, um, what we deem important. Now, um, I'm not. I am trying to change the world, but what I'm not <laughs> trying to do is is bring people into this ecosystem who are not ready, who who don't think it's of value. Right. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm focusing on people that are progressive in their thinking, that they know, they know the ship's sinking. And I said earlier, rather than shifting the deck chairs on the Titanic, they know the Titanic's about to sink, right? So they're people that are visionary. They, they understand they've connected the dots. Now, there are going to be people, and I've seen them, I've interacted with them, I've got some of them in my network, I've, I've worked with some as clients that – no matter what you do, no matter what you say to them, what guidance advice you provide, they're stuck, and they're and and it's fear, and it's yeah. fear that it, we still have this this attitude that you're my employer, you pay my check, my my bills, my salary, um, and I need that, and I'm not going to upset the apple cart, and and we talked, I know we talked offline about you know jokingly, well it wasn't really a joke, but you know how in my younger days when when people said they were in my corner. And I, when then it came time to enact, they weren't in my corner. The world is full of a lot of people that don't practice what they preach. Yeah. And, and by the way, I'm not here on a crusade to say that we must do that. But everybody, and that's the beauty of being a human, everybody gets to decide where they are on the journey. Yeah. You know, at the end of the day, well, let, me, let me give you a little example about politics in the workplace. Every research I've read about politics as part of my, my book, I've read about 40 40 odd pieces from Harvard, from you know Forbes, Inc., all these different reputable sources. All of them have started off and ended off by saying, you know, it's a shame we have to play the political game when we have such disdain for it. So I asked the question, why do we play it? Why do we play that game? Especially now that we're at the precipice of a shifting tide of how the future of leadership unfolds. It's we have a choice. Fear. Mistrust. Yeah. But here's the thing, Craig. When I my litmus test is when I wake up in the morning, I have a choice. Do I play the game? And by the way, sometimes, often more than not, playing the game means I sacrifice my values. What am I prepared to sacrifice? Mm, yeah. do, am I ready to do that? Am I ready to, to do myself a disservice? That's what ultimately it results in. And again, remember I said earlier, is there a correlation to not being genuine and your mental health and your physical health and any ailments right. that come from that? I'm going to suggest there could be but I'm not an expert. And then at the end of the day, you've gone through your day and you go to bed, you brush your teeth, you look in the mirror. Did you do everything that day that aligned with your values? Where did you sell out? Where did you do yourself a disservice again? And that's ultimately us as individuals, we get to choose that. Now, some people are listening to this, they're thinking I'm probably full of shit, pardon the swearing. Some people are also thinking, yeah, I know he's talking, he's got me, there's a nerve he's hit, but I'm not quite ready. Or, or some are saying, I don't need to, I don't want to. But again, it's all about that self-awareness. And, and I don't want to bring everybody on the journey, quite frankly. I, I, I don't want, because what, what that re results in is, is increased toxicity in the workplace. 
right? And we've all been it. We've all been around toxic bosses. We've all been around right. leaders that are lacking self-awareness, and we've all and we've all seen the effects of it. So I'm not sure that answers your your question, but I, I kind of that's what came up for me. Let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. I've been a Beta Gamma Sigma member for the last 20 years. If you're looking to hire, the right candidate is closer than you think. Beta Gamma Sigma is the International Business Honor Society, exclusively for students at the top of their class in the top 5% of business schools in the world. BGS members are academic achievers, skilled leaders, and experienced problem solvers, and their skills and experience extend beyond the classroom. They hold chapter leadership positions, attend global business summits, complete ethics trainings, and engage in world-class internships with top corporations. When you hire a Beta Gamma Sigma member, you are truly hiring the best in business. For more information, email bgshonors at betagammasigma.org to learn more about how to hire BGS members. Welcome back. Well, let, okay. let's talk about a blind spot. I call it a blind spot. <laughs> Oh, I have it's many. A pretty simple one. So, mm. and this is not true for everybody. Let's recognize this is not true for all workers, but many workers over the last year would say that um, I'm more productive, I'm happier, and my life is better. Yeah. So more productive, happier, and my life is better. And yet there are a lot of companies. I just heard of another one yesterday as they're looking at their policies of return to work are saying, yeah, but it's not good for our culture. I went, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Mm. So <laughs> your people are more productive, happier, and their lives are better. Yeah. That's not part of your culture. What, what's the culture part? And I see this to me, it's a blind spot. Like either you don't believe that. And I think that's a big part. I think what you said earlier is they still don't trust their people. And they don't buy the data. So they're saying, I got to have you here. But they're labeling it. It's all about culture. So is it, is it maybe the word that they were really meaning to say is connectedness? I don't know what they're saying. But, but, but see, that's the thing. If your people are happier and more mm -hmm. productive and their lives are better, then why are you going to take that from them or, or do it under the guise of culture connectedness? Call it what it is. Your people are, this is a, such an epic time because our people are speaking. Yeah, they are speaking I, up. And the question is, what are leaders going to do with that data? Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, one of the consulting firms that Jeff and I know about uh, with Larry English, prior podcast guest, thousand person organization, consulting firm, all virtual. And mm. yet they have a fantastic culture. So we, we can dismiss that whole <laughs> objection right out. And what, uh, um, but what is culture comprised of? People mm -hmm. <laughs> and people's perspectives and rituals and behaviors and beliefs and norms. And so what, what this has provided us, Jeff, to your point around, you know, you know people are more productive, happier um, because of COVID in, in the sense of they're, they're working. You know, this, this has shifted our norms. This has shifted the way that we look at organizational culture. And I think People are still holding on to, yeah, we've got to get our people back into the office and this thing will be over soon. We'll return to the normal, right? Uh, if I hear like the new norm one, <laughs> one more time, I don't know what I'm going to do. But, you know, it, it's like there is no playbook for the future, right? And as I said earlier, the playbook for the, the way that we've done things hasn't worked either. 
So we have the right now, we, we history will judge us for how we turn up now and what we do with the data going forward. Now, if you think about this at a macro level, you know, if, you're, if people that live in society are happier, then they're healthier. If they're healthier, they make a better contribution to society. And so it goes and the generative effect of that. So we've all been there. You know, I remember when I used to work in, in London, I love London, but I'm from London, the UK, but I remember going to work on the subway every morning and surrounded by so many people that were unhappy. And they, they kind of, you know, they might have had marital issues. They might have, yeah, they might be pretending to themselves that they're, they're happy, but they're just clocking in, clocking out like a hamster yeah. on the wheel. COVID like has, has obliterated that concept for a lot of white collar workers, a lot of workers that are not in kind of frontline, um, you know, different types of like blue collar environments. But what, what we have an opportunity to do is say, what have we learned from all of this? And what do we want to keep? And what, what do we want to discard? And I, and I think, again, it comes back to trust and it comes back to having the openness to have that conversation. Yeah. Why aren't we having that conversation? Is it, is it perhaps because we feel safe with our structures? And once those structures are gone, we have uncertainty. We're groundless, right? And again, I, yeah. I link it back to the, you know, when I talked about the future organizational structure is going to be structureless. We're, we see it with a higher group in China, um, Gore-Tex. We see it with Patagonia. We've seen, you know, Burtzog in, in, in Europe is a healthcare organization, uh, Morningstar. These are all examples of organizations that have gone through self-management and got rid of structures, got rid of leadership titles. This is all before COVID. Yeah. And these are perhaps some of the most productive organizations on the planet. So another good example is, strangely enough, General Electric, uh, GE engine, engine plant here, uh, jet aircraft engine plant here in, North, in Durham, North Carolina. They, are a, they operate based on self-managing teams, and they have a significantly better quality and turnaround time on the engines than in other plants. Mm. And you know, number of defects, maybe 100 in another plant maybe only four here in Durham. And what they've said is, you know, these are things like scratches. Yeah. Very, very minor stuff. And yet it's a self-managed team. It's not lots of corporate structure in that environment. Yeah. No, that, and, and I agree. There's, you know, there's lots of different examples where productivity is in, increased because of the way organizations are self-managed. And yeah, there's also, uh, you know, and being devil's being the devil's advocate and, and, you know, Jeff, to your point about blind spots, you know, I also acknowledge perhaps one of my own blind spots in this context because, you know, I, I'm the first to admit that self-managed structures are a new thing, right? They, they've been around for 10, 15 years. There's not, there's not a body of data and evidence that convincingly, like there has been on, you know, the organizational structure that we've had for, you know, 100 years. Or so so there, is, there is data that still needs to be collected over a longitudinal um, start uh, time but all of that notwithstanding the fact is we've seen that it works right and so whether it's anecdotal whether it's a little bit of evidence or whether it's a whole tome of evidence um it does work uh, and and but what it does rely on is us being open to disrupting the way we do things as well 
And so I, I'm curious, do you think we are? Oh, no. <laughs> I don't think we are. No, I mean, I, I see it constantly in my conversations. I, I'll help, I hear people sort of nodding, saying, that's a really interesting idea. But of course, we still have to do this. I'll go, no, that's exactly what I'm saying. We don't have to still do that. I'm talking about a fundamental shift in how we do this. It's not, and, and there, it's just, well, I want to go back to the playbook. You've okay. referenced the phrase, but I want to, let's talk about your playbook, the fired mm -hmm. playbook. We haven't, we've talked about it. You've referenced it. Talk to us about fired. What, what is fired when it yeah. comes to your version of leadership? And, and by the way, again, caveat to anyone listening and, and really underpinning the essence of what we're doing here at fired. It's not, you know, it's not to replace everything. It's not to kind of say everything doesn't work because there are some things that do work. What, what fired is, is, is an attempt to do a few things. To, to radically simplify the way that we develop future leaders, because the way that we've developed leaders in that standardized and simplified way, ironically, isn't, isn't quite simplified. It's quite complex. I mean, the average competency framework has between 15 and 20 competencies that a leader has to um, comply to, to demonstrate their, their experience in. And so we, we just push so much stuff on people. Now, I, I, I wanted to simplify that. But also, you know, fired itself is also a set of qualities that, that I think that humans need to have, need to, need to develop, but not just in a leadership capacity, right? And so here's one of the things that I've seen in my research that, that concerns me, and it's around this concept of we're one thing before we get into the office and we're another thing when we're in the office, yeah. right? Yeah. And so we develop our leadership experience based upon what our, what our mask that we wear in the office is as a leader. I'm trying to converge those two points as well. And, and so that's the, the bigger picture for me. But, but fired are the five qualities that I was fired for. And I started to get curious about whether those five qualities featured in the leadership development programs that we push out today. And they don't, right? And so I started to think there's a gap there. Why is that? And, and my hypothesis was born, which was, I wonder if we're firing the talent for the qualities that we need in the future. And that was, that was what started this, this methodology and framework being born. So fired, the, the F is fresh thinking. Mm. So for me, fresh thinking is the precursor to innovation, which then drives innovative output. Now, Google will give you millions of hits on the innovation word, and I'm sure scholars will, will argue the semantics of you know, which comes first, chicken or the egg. But to me, if you don't create the conditions for your leaders to uh, dare to think and act differently, then you don't have innovation, right? So fresh thinking is that, that, that kind of, you've got permission, like there's no shackles, there's no, you know, no waiting for timesheet codes that take six months to come through for you to be entrepreneurial. It's like you are, you are free to think however you want. And, and, Interestingly, that, that kind of leads into the I, which is inquisitive nature. Now, I've, I've got great respect for Francesca Gino's work from Harvard, and she's done a whole bunch of work around um, curiosity, the business case for curiosity. And she's written a book called Rebel Talent, which talks about the, the fact that we are not developing curiosity in our leaders. Now, by the way, a lot of these qualities I'm, I'm writing about in the FIRED framework have also been shown to be the kinds of things that future leaders need. So Heydrich and Struggles, for instance, they talk about the idea of disruptive 
as a disruptive quality leaders need for the future to continue to be innovative, right? Now, fresh thinking drives that, that ability to disrupt, right? So you, you disrupt without worrying about egos, without worrying about titles, without worrying about politics. So the inquisitive nature side, side is really similar to Francesca's work in, in the sense of, you know, you're asking why and you're, you're, you're kind of getting to the root cause of something. So you, you don't accept the surface level answer and, and that drives you to, to, to be more creative. Now, one of, one of the things she found in her research was we talk about curiosity, but we don't actually encourage it or create it within our leadership environment. And in fact, of, of I think 700 or 520 chief learning officers she researched, they all actively discouraged curiosity in their leaders. And do you know why? Because it's too expensive. So it costs too much money for, for their leaders to be curious. And also the argument is they might go down a path um, which wastes time and money, but that's the whole idea of being innovative and disruptive and doing something different. As opposed um, to Google that says, set aside 20% of your time. Yeah, which actually that's a myth. And I, and I, and I explode okay. that in, in, the, in the book. Interesting. It's yeah, and, and I can talk about that in more detail if you want, but that, that's actually a, a common myth. Um, and and it, it, is, it is a philosophy they have, but it's in addition to your, your day job. <laughs> um, they don't tell you that okay. part. Um, and so the R is real and accountable. So I talked earlier about leaders turning up and, and they wear masks. And we, we talked earlier about like words, empathy, vulnerability, transparency. But then why do, we, why do we have things like the meeting before the meeting? Why do we have the, the closed door policy, but we say we've got an open door policy? Why do we play the political game? And, and being real and accountable is turning up as yourself for, to work. And, and being vulnerable. Now, many might say you, don't, you shouldn't share too much about yourself as a leader. I disagree. You know, like one of my experiences in one of the firms that fired me, for instance, I, I knew that the culture was toxic. I knew that one of the, um, the colleagues in that team was being overworked, burning out, which again, is there a correlation between the way we lead and the mental health effects and, and what stress can actually do to us? and the cost to the economy of that. And I'm sure that contributes to the $7 trillion of disengagement that I talked about earlier. But in this particular example, I passed a colleague at night and I was leaving, it was a late night, and I heard someone crying and they were crying. So I went over, I, I had the choice then, right then, what do I do? I could ignore it or I could go and see what this was all about. They were clearly trying to hide their crying. I went over, consoled them, took them out, had a glass of wine, had a conversation, and basically put a plan in place to address what their challenges were. Fast forward a couple of weeks later, I get tapped on the shoulder by the partner in this consulting firm, and I was told categorically, I'm not the type of leader that this firm wants because I fraternize with people below my level. Oh, my gosh. So I was like, <laughs> okay, so you're telling me I can't be real. And I'm wow. saying, well, I don't think this is a place I maybe want to work because, again, despite the nobody gets fired for hiring IBM philosophy and, you know, we're all on the 100 best employees to work for, there's a contradiction, there's a hypocrisy, there's a dysfunction. So uh, being real and accountable is being real and accountable and accountable for being real. The I'd e say that there's, there's, there's an H in there, which is human, 
right? We have to treat people like human beings, regardless of position, rank, authority, whatever. Well, and you're right, you know, and and the irony is very few of us realize that if we genuinely turn up and treat someone in a human way, they're going to want to work for us. You know, Marcus talks about, you know, the the leadership. You can't be a leader unless you have followers, right? So followership is key. So if you treat people with respect, equal, there's no titles, there's no hierarchy. If you're a nice person, they're going to want to work with you. If they're going to want to work with you, they're going to put the effort in. If they're going to put the effort in, they're going to be more productive. If they're more productive, it's better for your bottom line. So Machiavellian-wise, if you don't care about humans and you pretend to care about humans, you'll still get the same outcome. But wouldn't it be much nicer to just turn up as we are, genuine, authentic, in, in any kind of relationship? Um, so that's, that's the, the R. Um, it depends uh, on who you are. Yeah. I don't know. You know, some people showing up as their authentic selves. I, I don't want to. Yeah. Well, I, I'm, I, wait, wait, wait. I, I'm going to stop that because I totally disagree with that because that is no, that argument is made every day. There are gurus making that argument every day that you shouldn't really be authentic if you're a jerk. And I think that's a misguided view of what authentic means. It is not permission to be an asshole. Yeah. But there's mm-hmm. people that are writing that saying, yeah, no, no. In fact, this shocked me. Someone who said this was, um, oh, shoot, I just lost him. Uh, Seth Godin said that. Mm. And I said, man, Seth, you don't miss it very often, but I think you really missed that one. Because that is being used as an excuse to say, yeah, not fully authentic. And as soon as you say that, that to me is a, a trigger to go, oh, no, let's go back over here the way we usually do it. Let's give ourselves a mask to wear over here. And I think that's yeah. a, it's a dangerous proposition to put out there. Yeah, one of my values is own it. And um, it, whatever I do, whether I, I make mistakes on, on the daily, you know, and I, sure. I mess up every day, I, I insult someone every day, I, my ego responds to something every day, like we are human. And, 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 and I'm, I'm not going to not own that. And, and that cor- correlates to the, one of the other values I have, which is no throwing up anyone under the bus ever. You know, if I've made a mistake, then I right. actually own it, and I and yeah. I'm humble enough to do that. Um, but yeah, it's un- it's unfortunate. And uh, actually, to your point, Jeff, earlier around uh, around that and the gurus. I mean, I I watched a documentary on some. I don't know if I can name who the name is. Am I allowed to name or or not? Or will it get me sure. in trouble? Um, Brian Rose. <laughs> do we know who Brian Rose is? Brian Rose is an American living in London, the UK. And he's uh, going for the mayoral candidate in 2021. Now, he's had a, a podcast called London Real, and it's very successful. And, and yet there's always been something quite disingenuous about him. I found out about him a few days ago because he's someone that encourages vulnerability and authenticity, and he, he holds other people accountable for that, right? Well, a bunch of 15-year-old kids interviewed him the other day and were doing exactly the same to him, holding him accountable <laughs> for something he said. But guess what? When he doesn't like what you say, he deletes your, your posts from his website and his whatever channels he uses. So they were saying, is that being authentic? And I thought, kudos to you, brothers. Like those kids were actually, nice. they had the, the, the courage to hold him accountable for his words about being accountable. All of a sudden, he gets up and he storms off, right? And, and so he gets out of the interview. But here's the other thing, and I got so intrigued by him that I watched a documentary on him where he went to do ayahuasca, 
and he went and he filmed it all and and apparently from that he he became in touch with who he was but by the way this documentary and this this experience was way before the interview with these kids so again we have these data points they don't make sense they're incongruent they're contradictory and and i started to kind of this started me getting me really curious again about this this concept of being real and so we can all say that we are but we sometimes fool ourselves we don't put i mean i was accused the other day of of not being real not being genuine and and i i was accused by someone who themselves is fooling themselves and, <laughs> it, and it's like where does it stop and and so yeah. and I, I do think that that you know if we're not who we say we are we it will come back to bite us eventually sure. and so you know what's the point in in not being who we are we have one life and we 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 have to impact as many people as we can in a positive way while we're here yeah and so so yeah that's i guess then it comes back to tolerance you know are we going to have the kind of people in the organization that are Mm. going to blow up on other people yeah well which kind of almost is a nice segue to the e in fired which is the expressive and challenging i don't know if you were doing that as a plant there craig (laughs) uh, it's a great great because i could talk about this stuff all day um so the e the expressive and challenging is someone who challenges they challenge the status quo and they always always do it in a respectful courteous professional way but they cut through the crap right and so how many of us have been in meetings where we go along and we nod along to the idea that the most senior person in the room has come up with but we don't like the idea the idea doesn't make sense it doesn't flow for what we're trying to do most leaders will defer to the most senior person in the room because they know if they if they go against that leader their their card is marked mine's been marked four times right and so i'm driven as a leader by my sense of overall purpose mm-hmm. and i and and what i what i'm driven by as a fire leader is this sense of wholeness it's not about me you or you know anyone it's about the idea and this is what frederick lelou talks about in reinventing organizations which is this whole approach to the future of organizational structures driven by leaders that are they have integrity, they have a sense of wholeness, and they're driven by this sense of evolutionary purpose. So the expressive cuts through all of that nonsense and is driven by this bigger ideal. But let me just throw another factoid out to you. I don't know why I did that with my hand, but uh, um, <laughs> kind of like like Kermit, Kermit from the Muppets. Um, so the University of Nebraska found that we have on average between 11 and I think it's 55 million meetings every day in the US. Half of those meetings we don't need to be at because they're, they're bureaucratic meetings, right? Mm-hmm. And you know it's like you come to the meeting to discuss something, but the decision's already been made, so why are you having the meeting? And even Elon Musk, whether your views on him are what they are, uh, says if you're not adding value to a meeting, leave, right? So think about that. The average executive spends about 45 years in their career. 22 years of them are in meetings, and half of those meetings aren't even relevant. So look at look at the cost of that, and here's wow. here's where the expressive and challenging c- comes in because they cut through that. They say, "Why are we here? What's the objective of the meeting? What do we want to get out of it? What roles are we all playing, and how are we going to cope with disagreement?" So the expressive is someone that challenges the way we've always done it. The agitator, you know, Gary Hamill talks about agitators don't get marginalised. I disagree, Gary. As much as I respect his work, he's a you know worldwide scholar in management and bureaucracy, but agitators do turn up with the expressive the you know that that quality and the way they're seen in organizations today because 
uh, we're still looking at it through another lens, right? The way the expressive turns up as a fire leader, they're that annoying, pesky little mosquito, right? They're always asking why. They're always challenging. But here's the thing. They're doing it for the betterment of your organization. Um, so that's the E. And then I the D. One Jeff of- is being the poster child for that. Yeah. Well, and I think one thing to add in there about COVID for the people who are listening, I think it's an interesting phenomenon. I can't tell you, and I'm sure you both have heard it, how many people have said to me, they'll look at their day and say, well, the reason I'm burned out on Zoom on is I'm literally on Zoom meetings all day, like Mm. eight to 10 hours. And I hear that and I think, what is your job and what did you do before? Because I know you weren't in meetings for 10 hours a day when you worked at the office. You were probably in a lot of horrible meetings, but now you're in more <laughs> meetings because it's on Zoom. What the, like, what do you do? Like, what yeah. is your actual job? Is your job to be in meetings? I think COVID has created more meetings that yeah. are mm-hmm. less effective. We've got a pandemic of meetings and we had a horrible, we had a pandemic before. And now I don't know what, squared. <laughs> I don't know. The meeting pandemic. <laughs> I will say, Jeff and I, you know, we have a, our, our me- weekly meetings scheduled, but when we get into that meeting, if we don't have anything to talk about, you know, that we need to really address, we're off. Oh, yeah. well, I got stuff to do. Yeah. And, and imagine if, if our future uh, leaders was when, when they had meetings, you imagine if you scheduled a meeting to start at like 11 minutes past the hour. And imagine if that meeting oh, just went yeah. on for 17 minutes. And imagine if you rotated, you know, that, that the, who, who chaired the meeting and you didn't have any prescribed agenda. You just focused on what came up for you. You know, again, people think that's crazy, but this is how self-managed organizations yeah. are doing this right now. Um, so the, the D, let me just finish off with the D. Yeah. The D is direct and transparent. And, and that's basically the leader who does not play the political game. And nice. so they, they are speaking up for, for basically what people are always quietly nodding you know, behind the scenes. They don't, they don't want to bite the hand that feeds them, right? So the, the, the fire leader that turns up with a D, the direct and transparent, again, cuts through all that noise, doesn't play the game, and, and is in it for the bigger purpose. Now, you know, I've, I've kind of highlighted these in a, a, a high level. There's obviously a lot more detail behind the scenes with the, the framework that we've developed around, you know, how you define these, how they turn up, how, they, how they're currently seen in the organization, um, what are some of the... Um, what are some of the things that fire leaders demonstrating these qualities are told? Uh, how do you recruit them for that? How do you coach these leaders with this trait? Um, so there's a lot more kind of skin or meat on the bone behind the scenes, but I kind of just tried to keep it very high level. Nice. Uh, so, so you have fired. I'm thinking you need to have a, a dichotomy of the, the old style called tired. <laughs> good, yeah, good new good. style the old style there you go probably yeah in there probably in so there. can you go back through yeah. uh, all of those five again just for a recap yeah so fresh thinking is is the ability to think yeah. and um do things differently and mm-hmm. do it from a place without ego and to disrupt because you're moving the idea forward yeah. just as the idea i is the inquisitive nature so that's the curiosity quality and always asking why and not accepting the first level answer you get. Um, the R is being real and accountable for being real. So that's turning up, being vulnerable, not wearing a mask, and basically, um, you know, saying what you mean, meaning what you say, and and delivering what it says on the tin. The E is the expressive and challenging, and that's kind of um, basically 
agitation that's cutting through the, the noise, that's basically challenging the status quo, questioning why we've done things the way we've done, looking at bringing new, new ideas in. And the D is direct and transparent. So that's not playing the political game. Again, speaking, speaking through the crap, cutting straight to the chase, but not, not being part of those, those political discussions. Gotcha. And again, driven by the sense of bigger picture purpose. Okay. Well, Paul, this is, this is incredible. I, we could keep going into all of these areas, uh, and the reality of time is here. So what I want to ask you here is this. You've talked about a lot today. You've talked about the, the, the background and the foundations of FIRED. But if you, were, if you were sitting here, which you are, talking to leaders, what's the, the key message they need to hear about this disruption in leadership that needs to happen? What's the singular message to them? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's time to shift the narrative on this conversation. And I think that means we have to be open <clears throat> to dissenting perspectives. We have to bring them to the table, which means we have to be self-aware. We have to be open to removing our ego from judging things that we don't yet understand. So I think that sense of openness is, is key for me. And however that comes for people, it will be their own journey. But I think it's that, that willingness to, to have the conversation, to really look in the mirror and figure out, does it really work or not? And, and what role am I playing? Am I contributing to this? Am I, am, I, am I quietly supportive or am I proactively condoning what's happening? And what role do I want to play? And I think right you, can, you can start there you know, with what you're talking about just within your own sub-organization, your own team, whatever that is. It doesn't necessarily have to be that the whole organization has to change to that immediately. You can demonstrate for your own self and your own team what that looks like. Yeah, and, uh, anecdotally, I'll just leave leave you with one of these stories. I, I, um, I, one of my alpha readers was a VP of leadership development for a large financial institution in North America, and they 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 read the book. They read the section that I mentioned where I gave, gave solutions away. One of those things I in there I say name what you see moments, and so that's with leadership teams. Basically, when they get together and meet, start of the week, whenever it is, go around as a leadership team. And, and name what you see in terms of toxicity, dysfunction, mm. individually, as well as then taking those individual things as a collective team and deciding which one you want to t- focus on as a team for that week. And how do you address that? And, and then yeah. come back and report against that. And that costs you nothing. The only thing it costs you is your willingness to have that conversation. But I wouldn't try that if you don't have the trust in place first yeah. with your leadership team. But that she anecdotally came back and said to me, her leadership team were the most honest that they've ever been mm-hmm. after doing that. So Fantastic. it's very humbling to hear that, but it's such a quick thing to do. Yeah. I love that. So Paul, thank you so much. Uh, we always wrap up asking our guests, is there anything in particular you want to promote or highlight for you and your business? Well, I think, I think really the ecosystem that we're developing, Fire Leadership, you know, you can find us on all the usual channels, uh, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, um, Clubhouse. We've got a bunch of Clubhouse sessions coming up under Fire Leadership. And really the, the book, the first of three is coming out in the next, uh, you know, six to 12 months, which is really introducing this concept. And, you know, that will obviously kind of go out to the ecosystem. And the idea is to 
to start speaking on this with, with leadership teams and, and moving forward with other types of services as well. But really, that, that's where we are at the moment. And we're, we're kind of um, developing the ecosystem. And, and really, I, I welcome anyone that's interested in finding out more about what we do to, to contact us and, um, you know, see if it makes sense, see if it doesn't make sense. And, you know, we have an ambitious goal of a million people within the next three years that are aware of fire leadership and doing something about it. And so far we've got about 900,000 people who have some awareness of what fire leadership is, mm. which is really, really fantastic. Oh. So I, I really want to have the conversation and I would encourage everyone to come and have a conversation with us. So you mentioned the social media channels. What's the best way for someone to connect with you? Um, either uh, LinkedIn or Twitter. So on LinkedIn, I'm, Paul McCarthy. We've got a fire leadership page, but there's that's embryonic at the moment. But but my personal LinkedIn or Twitter, fire leadership. Awesome, awesome, awesome. So we always wrap up with a question, a signature question, and the one for you is: having said so many uh, wisdom bombs today, but what's that one piece of wisdom people need to hear today about leadership? It's time to shift the paradigm. The playbook doesn't doesn't work anymore. And you get to decide the role that you play when history looks back at this moment. Mm, so true. Wow, I like that one. I, I hope people, when they hear that, get a little their seizure in their back. Of, <laughs> yeah, Some contraction uh, of the sphincter muscles. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> there you go. Good on you. Well, thank you, Paul. Thanks for being with us. And uh, thanks for all the work you do in the world, most importantly. Yes. Jeff and Craig, thank you. It's an honor. And I, I love platforms like this. And, and this is contributing to the ecosystem development. So awesome. kudos to you both. Well, I will say when you're when you're in that corner and, and you're looking behind you, Jeff and I are there. <laughs> Good stuff. Excellent. How much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast Banking Transform, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcasts and now available on YouTube.